Meeting 2505, March 29th, 2000. All right, here's what I brought that I writ for this occasion. Headline, in being asleep and being normal. <clears throat> what the brain does first is produce in itself the sensation of there being a personal human you <clears throat> that is having the brain, the thoughts the brain churns out. Then secondly, the brain creates in this fabricated you the impression that it independently, that is the you independently plans and willfully directs your life. Thus does the human brain create for itself a phantom personality and then attributes to it independent will and individual consciousness. But ask yourself, what is your life but your reactions to your environment? Does your life, the one you think about, originate in you? Do you consciously and willfully initiate the things you do in life that make up your life? Or do you simply react to what happens in your life? Does not, in fact, your life consist of your constant reactions to the environment in which your life is played out, including especially, I might add, the human environment? For some, is this not the primary appeal of the reclusive monastic life in its stripping of the environment to its bare essentials, thus curtailing its potential effects on the participants? No man can fully escape the effects of his environment no more than he can flee this universe. But those most encumbered by the ever-shifting conditions of life are those who do not hold a coherent understanding of the relationship between each man and the environment. The unrealized relationship is this. There is no relationship. They are one and the same. That is, you and the environment. Push your right palm against your left one. And that's it. Does everyone want to try it? Can you picture it? Those out in TV land. Put your right palm against your left palm and push it. And if that doesn't really make it clear, then put your left palm on your right hand, right palm, and push it. Now one of the two is going to hip you to what's going on if you're primed to be hipped. Pushing one palm against the other is a physical example of the relationship between a man and his environment. One man said, there is no limit to what the mind can think. And a second man responded, yes, there is. And the first man noted, see, the mind having no limits, it even allows you to deny the fact. When you find it difficult to forget this fact, you're getting close, real close. Since the brain created the idea of enlightenment, it is to the brain that you must look to ever find such. To find a bear, you must look in the wood. You, to find a bear, you look in the woods, which produce bears. 
Cities do not produce bears. Oceans do not produce bears. Woods produce bears. So to find a bear and then to understand bears, you must look in the woods. And you must then understand the woods to ever understand the nature of the bear. And after a brief silence, someone asked, but don't you have to understand bears to understand the nature of the woods? Bravo. I assume that people are listening. One man opened his advertising comments on that certain matter thus, quote, What I am going to try and tell you is beyond my ability to put in words and beyond your ability to understand. Now, if we are clear on that, let us begin. He then shut up and left. After their many... <laughs> After their many combined years in this affair of ours, a son recently asked his father, how can you have any faith in anyone who says anything like, well, a man should do this or that about his, his mind? You got me, shrugged the elder, and then asked his own question. So why do we keep doing it? And they both shrugged in bafflement. Instead of saying, as tis norm, quote, the brain governs the heart, the stomach, etc., you could picture the affair from this angle. The stomach developed a brain to help feed it. Then you could go even further in an unused direction, and instead of proposing that, quote, evolution produced consciousness in man to aid in his survival, you could think of it more locally and say, Man's body itself developed nervous system consciousness so as to help itself more efficiently survive. After all, the mighty brain and its consciousness is but a piece of somatic technology that the totality of the human organism gradually develops to specifically aid its own ends. But consider how it normally goes with ordinary men. They will say such things as... My stomach hurts. My, being the brain talking about the stomach, as though it is one of the brain's possessions, which of course is foolishness. And yet by the brain having the exclusive franchise for speech, it can, via words, make such ridiculous statements seem acceptable, at least to human hearing, which the brain also treats as a hapless lackey and thus a self-referential circuit is maintained and whose informational content is limited to the severe, to the self-serving and subjective. Carried beyond the brain speaking of the stomach, consider what it does in less physical references as a man saying, I think so-and-so. The brain again still speaking behind the invented mask of I. But the brain speaks of having thoughts as though it is either the actual source of the thoughts or at least now their master. 
which a minimum of objective inquiry will reveal as additional foolishness. The very way that the brain structures its thought and speech, hiding behind the word I, when it says such things, results in sentences wherein your eye appears as the source of the action being described, as though an object can be an actual source of action. When pushed to respond, even the brain must concede that objects are objects and actions are actions, and the two are separate and distinct, and yet one cannot exist without the other. All objects are a part of, an ongoing, of ongoing actions, and all actions require objects to be ongoing. And right about here, the sight of an alert man will flash on to the fact that his own apparent eye is, but, is not some object separate from the actions it claims to initiate, but is in fact simply a part of the ongoing actions in which it inseparably lives. Even though the brain has created or, or been the conduit for a thought, and language as we know and use it, and even while it causes to be formed sentences and ideas wherein the subject is I, and the I is made to be the instigator of actions taking place in the environment, a man no longer totally hypnotized and fooled by this appearance realizes that the environment is as responsible for the actions he takes as the other way around. Uh, for a second, in case it's getting to I don't know how easy it is for you to hear after I read it. But the old ideas, a very common one among historians and social critics, uh, how it is that uh, a certain man, a Thomas Edison, comes along and finally puts together a consistently working and cost-efficient light bulb. And he is now, at least from his homeland's view, he is considered the inventor of the light bulb. The light bulb, the idea of all reports, had been hanging around for close to 80 years. Now, he didn't invent it. He refined it. But he wasn't close to inventing it. But how did it, and no one could get it to work on a consistent, cost-efficient basis, or at least a consistent basis. And so, historians, anyway, that, and I could bring up a thousand one other things, the discovery of America, so-called. All kinds of things. Historians will say, well, the basic information, uh, all of the parts for this piece of technology, this discovery, this movement of humanity was in place, but it took this man, this object, this thing, a Columbus, and Edison. It took this to happen, and it only happened because the time was right very common phrase and is taken there's a certain amount of profundity in it but it's not simple enough it's not direct enough the day that Thomas Edison whatever all it was that he put in the filament finally you know left it on the Eureka time or Graham Bell if there is of course history the mind that is likes to believe that there is a Eureka moment that suddenly Max Planck went, my God, now I understand. Or that Edison finally 
let's assume for a moment that such a thing happened, that suddenly it was a eureka moment, and he went, ah, now I know what to do. Edison didn't do that. Historians, as I said, they're close to say, well, the time was right. The environment decided that it had to be invented. They are so close. Well, verbally. But you see what I'm saying? Don't take this metaphorically. This is why I've been trying to lead up to, and I've just been sort of putting it off because it is so simple that I'll end up talking about it. I know damn well. Well, I've got a handful of papers here, and most of them tonight are about that. And I've just told you everything. I've told you every damn thing. I gave you the best example I can think of. Do you hear me? Pick any example you want. The well, people have already been fooling around. Uh, we know now, without any doubt, uh, there were people from uh, Scandinavia, Eric the Red, his sister-in-law, or a whole bunch of them. They ended up in North America, stayed there for several years, off and on, established settlements long before Columbus's grandparents were born. But historians would say, and it makes sense, well, yeah, but they didn't do anything with it. It didn't have an impact on Western civilization. Nobody had a need for North America. I mean, their big deal then was discovering and settling Iceland. And according to most Western people of good sense, who the hell needs Iceland? Of course, that is partly my opinion. Just, of course, my opinion is who needs, you know, anything north of, you know, about 40 degrees latitude or wherever it is. But at any rate, do you understand historians will say, well, yeah, we've known that or suspected it. But the point was, the time was right. Western Europe was going through the beginning of the downfall of Christianity had driven out the uh, Moors, driven back Islam. Christianity was now fairly well seated. The outlines of what would turn into be Europe, a civilized Western Europe, had been established. And there was a certain amount of peace. Isabel and Ferdinand were now firmly in control of the Iberian Peninsula. They had now driven out and replaced the state religion with Christianity, driven out the Moors. And everything was just right. They were rolling in money. Columbus came along. The time was right. So even though people knew that there was a land there, and even though there were reports, and people, people, there were plenty of people who knew the world was round. They didn't think, Columbus didn't think he was sailing off the edge of the earth. As I said, there were already people who believed that there was another land, not China, but there was another unknown land. But the time was right for a Westerner to get over there, have the money, have the background, have the support. The interest was such, Europe needed to expand. They kept looking eastwardly and looking for a short route to the West Indies, as they called it, or the East Indies. But the time was right, and so Columbus stumbled onto the Caribbean and then finally North America, and it was recognized as a big deal. But do you hear that? Columbus, let's say Columbus discovered America. The environment also discovered America. Whatever's done, if history books were written from the correct view, all discoveries, everything Gutenberg. Of course, again, that's a known fact. That he didn't discover movable type. 
the Chinese have been using it, if I recall, for at least, supposedly for about 500 years before that, or more than that, but at any rate. But if Gutenberg developed, invented, movable type, then it should say Gutenberg dash the environment. You know, like the discoverers of the DNA, you know, Watson, Crick. It should always be a hyphenate. It should be whoever it was, blank, the environment. I'm sure the environment don't care if a human goes first, because the environment can <laughs> cut him off the knees. I repeat one more time. I do not mean this metaphorically. Uh, if you don't begin to see this, well, I, you'll have to sooner or later no matter how many experiences you've had of being awake or being enlightened, if you continue to work on it, as I assume that you will by you continuing to be here, as it ripens, you'll know what I'm talking about. Back to the reading. So even as the brain's thoughts are what drives man's, drive man's, drives man's impact on his environment, so equally does his environment drive what impacts his brain's thoughts. A mind asleep is one which believes the brain's assertions, assertion that the world outside you and you are separate entities. That is a mind asleep. The foolish notion that physical reality is something other than you. Now, I repeat, I've been sort of building up on this, but one more time, if you want to look at it this way, which I found it useful myself, did not the environment make us develop, and our nervous system developed, so it developed what we call consciousness and then thoughts, and did not that create in us the impression? It's more than an impression with the ordinary mind, it's taken as a fact, an undeniable fact, that you stop at your skin that you and the environment are two separate things. That you and the physical reality outside of you are absolute discrete entities. Because as I point out to you, I assume it makes sense to you, did that, were that not the case, we would never have occasion, we would never be, tried to ever manipulate or change our environment. You'd be like the rest of the animals, we would. You're simply programmed to react to certain things in certain ways. And when the things are there, you react to them as you're programmed. If they're not there, you don't react. When you meet things you're not programmed to react to, you ignore them. But no other animal attempts to change the environment. They're not asleep, they're not awake, but they feel no separation from the environment. There's no sensation of it. They can't think about it. Them and the environment are one. Their environment, the particular trees, the bark of which elephants live, off of which they live, if the trees uh, of a blight takes down the trees and that environment is wiped out on a large enough area, you do understand, this is no speculation, the elephants die. That's true with any species. If they have some specialized food supply and the food supply is wiped out, then the species, at least in that local area, is wiped out. And you can talk about all you want to and speculate about the food chain, the, the net of uh, the food or the food network in environmental terms, but screw all that. 
the environment died, that particular environment, that particular tree, that particular food source, the weather changed in a drastic enough way that the animal cannot adjust to it. He is not programmed to adjust to it. He dies. The, the environment dies, the animal dies. Back to the reading. For many years did one father tell his son, quote, the two most important things in life are good posture and uncomfortable shoes. <laughs> but later on, the kid discovered that his father had lied to him <laughs> and discovered for himself that the two most important things in life are a lack of direction and friends who will desert you. <laughs> and the moral of this story is anyone who will believe their progenitor or believe him a liar couldn't be helped by a moral. <laughs> or much of anything else for that matter. Oh, all right. Here is the actual moral of the story. Moral. The moral is, don't you see what's going on? That's the moral. Remember this. In dry dock, when the boats are turned upside down, even a keen-eyed sailor still smells tar. Owe me ten bucks. <laughs> Nothing can fool a man like thoughts. Why does the brain insist on doing this to itself? Why does the brain insist on making us witness to this Sorry affair. Just kidding, brain. Just kidding. Well, I can't resist taking an aside. Maybe you don't know it, but there's an old proverb, very old supposedly. It says, women are just like boats in the dark. If you turn them upside down, they all look alike. Or if you roll them over, you understand? I didn't know whether any of you we're old enough to know that proverb or whether any of you specialize in old proverbs or whether any of you like proverbs that had an erotic undertow to them. <laughs> but I couldn't resist myself because it meant something. I didn't throw it in just to be clever. I never do, I think. But it says, even in dry dock, when boats are turned upside down, see, I thought by then some of you would think where I was going with it. Even a keen-eyed sailor still smells tar. See, tar is what historically was used to waterproof boats, to keep them afloat. But now I've taken the boats out of the water where they belong, out of their meant-for environment, even though it'd be a secondary vessel, a secondary object, or a piece of the secondary reality put into the primary reality which they're also inseparable. But I've taken the boat now and put it on dry land and rolled it over, which indeed, if you don't know it, if they're fairly of equal size, it doesn't matter what kind of boat, scowl or yawl, doesn't matter what you turn it over. Once they're up on land, all boats look alike. But plus, like I said, I was thinking some of you might be hip enough that you're expecting that they all look alike. Just, just trying to keep you on your tippies. Back to the reading. As some have insisted, 
to be enlightened is to have a mind free of all preferences. But consider this. The mind, consider or picture it this way. The mind is a room in which the air consists of nothing but preferences, but not so the floor. A certain father said to his son, you've heard the exhortation, get in on the ground floor. Well, boy, I tell you this, once you discover the ground floor, stay there. I already handed you people about that a few nights ago. I can feel it. I know where it is inside my skull. Mind has a ground floor. The brain, ooh, I forgot I wrote about it. Next page. The brain has a base like everything else. Although thoughts don't see it that way. As the limbic, limbic load said to the cortex, don't play with my feelings. <laughs> or was it the other way around? <laughs> and a certain son asked his father, is it still true that the most efficient path to enlightenment is to always remember the word cement? And his father replied, yes. <laughs> or maybe implacable <laughs> or November it's mostly up to you my boy and the lad's cortex snarled hey don't toy with me and the old man cried out now you're getting it one man finally came to conclude quote when I complain I misuse my brain. And for quite a while he lived confidently with this view, but then began to widen the scope of his consideration of the idea and started to perceive, via intellectual speculation, the benefits that might be physiologically derived from complaining and how such activity in a given circumstance might be his brain making a reinforced note to itself to avoid such situations in the future. Thus, the whining might not be simply an expression of displeasure for others to hear, but rather the brain by, re by re insist but be rather the brain by reasserting in audible words the memory of an uncomfortable experience. Did you finally understand that? <laughs> that the whining that people do, this guy says, which I pick on myself, and you, I assume you do, but the whining that the brain does may not be just an expression of displeasure for other people to hear, but could be the brain wanting to audibly assert its displeasure with a certain thing that's happened so as to try and reinforce its memory, avoid this in the future. Back to the reading. After engaging in this, the man then began to re-examine many other similar ideas he had involving verbal behavior that on the surface seemed questionable, if not wasteful, to see if he might also spot therein some unrecognized physiologically profitable purpose. 
<laughs> and my hint is that if you look, you will find. <laughs> Studying mystical systems can be fun. Studying mystical systems in the belief that by so doing you can achieve their aim can be not so much fun. For those with that special hunger, thinking is not the problem. Thinking that thinking has anything to do with it is. Here's one man's view of that matter. Quote, the only way to ever awaken is to get the brain to turn on itself. Make the brain get mad at itself. And after you've accomplished that, then tell the brain that it is not necessary. And if you survive all of this, well, voila. And you may get that thing you've been hoping for. And a father said to his son, before I die, there is one thing of supreme importance I want to tell you. Never believe anything. And the boy didn't believe that the old man was dying. <laughs> Being of ordinary mind is in holding everyone else to the freedom of will standard while never entertaining the notion regarding yourself. When cornered, men will blame overwhelming circumstances for their censured actions while not granting the same privilege to others. Well, because they have freedom of will. A man came to a certain mystic and said, it is purported that you have said there is nothing to teach regarding the way. Is this true? And the mystic replied, yes. Then after a pause added, except for one thing. And that would be, inquired the man, and the mystery replied, that there is nothing to teach regarding the way except you cannot tell people this. <laughs> Every method to awaken works in the beginning, but later on they become nothing but distractions. Your own brain is the only method and your own brain's activities are the only distractions that can ultimately illuminate themselves. And a father advised his son, remember, stick with what you know best, nothing. And one man had a vacuum cleaner with a unique characteristic. When running, it always spewed out more dust than it ever picked up. <laughs> Once he fully appreciated this aspect of the machine, the man was so stricken thereby that he gave it its own personal name. He began to call it my mind. <laughs> And from our podiatry department, this item. For feet to ever achieve enlightenment, they must first stop running long enough to take a good look at themselves. In the beginning, every method to awaken works. Later on, they're nothing but unneeded complications.
They wonder. Finally, I looked at my brain. It looked back at me. I kept staring at it. It kept staring back at me. And we went on like this to something really extraordinary happened. Which I don't see the value of going into with you people just now, no offense, in the poem. But may I add, I'll tell you what do. Do try what he just described, right at the tail end of the rhyme. Just take up staring at your own brain. Now you gotta do it without any animosity. And the main thing is that you can't let the fact that it doesn't make any sense <coughs> keep you from doing it. One man says, I find now that when I stab the air around me, I see it bleed. And when I walk through the woods and the trees inhale, the air is sucked from me. A bit dramatic, perhaps, even for a metaphor, but I say not a whit overdone. A boy asked his father, is humanity asleep? And the elder replied, from the mystic's view, yes. Then the lad inquired, what can I individually do to be aroused from this sleep? And his father said, do not pay any attention to thoughts in you concerning whether men are asleep or not asleep, for this alone will keep a mystic son asleep throughout eternity. Sons have fathers, thoughts have sons, walls have floors, and ends have no beginnings, which is why thoughts cannot free themselves from themselves, and a sleeping man cannot see the door leading out of his bedchamber. Question. Can a son be too close to his father? Answer, yes. Let the floor of your bedchamber say to the thoughts that fill it, keep your distance. Stay away from me. Yet only the floor, and not the thoughts, can understand this. Keep your distance. Keep your distance. But what exactly does that mean? Distance, in this sense, is the quiet that appears when you realize that even though everything is in motion, nothing is going anywhere. On the other side of the world is a place where all proverbs are manufactured. And just down the road from there is where they are all mangled for the use of true, by true mystic. The enlightenment of consciousness is not so much an actual change of mind as it is a personal realization and consistent acceptance of the mind as it is. Ultimately, it's not a matter of being master of the mind, but of being aware of its source, its nature, and the reality it creates. Being knowledge, knowledgeable of all of this is the enlightenment of consciousness. With an open book in hand, a son rushed into his father's room laughing loudly. I have just read the most astoundingly funny sentence of my life, which he then repeated for his papa, quote, he's reading from the book, the teachings and methods of all great mystics were determined in part by the times and conditions in which they lived. 
Then both father and son fell to the floor and rolled about in unbridled glee as they shouted out over and over again the words, in part, in part. <laughs> Quite a demonstrative little family there. <laughs> I guess obviously not a bunch of wasps. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get carried away. And finally, remember, my mental activity is part of your environment and yours is mine. Thus, if you solicit my opinion of your ideas, you're seeking to gauge your environment's reaction thereto. Let us all now, as we leave, joyfully raise our voices in song. Oh, you can't get away. No, you'll never get away. Cause there ain't no away. Anyway. Uh, well, I did try to wrap it up there in that last page, at least for the night. Because either I'm not even close to wrapping this up or the other side of it, which is just a good, the environment of what I just said. So I just made a statement. I said, I am sure this is not the end of me speaking about man's relationship, apparent relationship to his environment. You notice I separated a reality. I stated, never practice my reality. If I say, I have decided this is the last time, and in general, I'll say this, this is the last time I'm going to be talking specifically about man and his environment. Now I've taken everything. You could say, well, that's quite possible. You're the one talking about it. You can talk about it or not talk about it. And I say, I've decided. And so in some way, I have taken the possibility of me talking more about man and his environment in the sense that we might be interested in that. And in some way, it's almost as though I have removed it from the universe. I have taken it out of the realm of possibility. Where am I going to put it? How am I going to hide it? So that possibility does not come around and go, aha. Uh At least you think I'm being silly. Instead of possibility, can you deal with the environment? And if you don't like that, we'll go back to historians. What if I say that? And then Friday night, I'm talking, and it gets very, I'm talking about something, not even using the words man and his environment, not because I stated tonight, this being Wednesday, I stated to further notice, perhaps never again will I speak about specifically man and his apparent relationship to the environment. So Friday, I'm talking about how thoughts deal with the secondary reality that they've created. And, and suddenly I just say something and I see enough faces here light up and I know that you were here Wednesday and I remember perhaps that your face up several times and I go ahead and start saying what can you see then how this idea of man being separate from the environment can be equated to what I have described as being the primary reality in which man lives and the secondary reality in which that he creates through the mind through his thoughts but still in which he lives. 
And then some of you could have thought, or maybe I went ahead and said, by the way, don't look at me. I know that not before last Wednesday, I said I was not going to speak on this anymore, but it just seemed it was right. What I was saying, the time just seemed to be so right, I had to invent the light bulb again. I had to rediscover America, I had to sail off again. What am I saying? I am saying that the environment, I can say it, I can put it in other words, which people always do. As I said, historians have been close, verbally. But I could have said, well, I, I know that I stated to you last time we met that I was not going to talk about this again, but due to a change in circumstance, due to the way in which some of you were reacting tonight so positively and alertly, I just thought it to your benefit. So I just want you to know I'm aware that I said I wasn't going to, but circumstances were such. Well, yeah, all right. It's not that that's not true, but wait until you get a glimpse of it. Anybody that's ever been awake knows what I'm talking about, or you did when you were awake, and next time you're awake for a long period of time, if you think about this, you go, ah! All you got to do is remember the word, just environment, coming out of my mouth, you go, ah! I'm sitting here now, you're sitting here now, and it seems as though, without any doubt, and you're not in error, this is the way the nervous system makes thoughts work in us, that within a tolerable, reasonable degree, you're responsible for what's going on. All right, you're listening to me, and as I pointed out to you, and I'm sure all of you see, if you're actually listening to me, or you'll be watching a movie. I'm not the point, I'm not a special case. But you're listening to me, and what I'm saying is triggering what you're saying, what the thoughts are saying in your mind. It's triggering a new movie in you based upon you hearing me talk. But still, if I said, well, what's going on in your head right now? If you were paying, if it was possible, that you're giving me 100% of your mental attention, then 100% of your mental attention is being driven, being affected by. Not that you have to agree or even follow everything I say, but if you're trying to follow it, then it's like you're watching a movie, and if you're really absorbed in the movie, then everything going in the movie one way or the other is now triggering what you're thinking about. It's affecting it. It is motivating your thinking for as long as you are totally absorbed in the movie, if that was possible. Look at it another way. Don't you see it? And when I say environment, it's still, I could say life is what I normally call it, but I like environment because that seems locally. There seems to be a local phenomenon that a man's environment right now, of course, you can continue to philosophically or theoretically expand it, but right now, seeing this room, this is our environment. Right now, our immediate environment is obviously the chair you're sitting in, the temperature of the room, the humidity, then all the physiological effects of whether you're full, hungry, have a headache. But let's go past all that. Let's go above, get into the cortical area of the brain. There's environment. And what I was going to suggest is that assuming that you're giving me most of your attention, then your environment, your mental environment, is me, my words. But then we could say, well, we're not just in this room, we're in Georgia. We're in the United States. We're in the Northern Hemisphere. We're on planet Earth. Yeah, yeah. It's all according to how wide your vision of it, your understanding of it is. But seeing right here in this room, if we left this and called this the environment, not me, 
the universe itself, but let's call, there's one little piece of the universe in this room, however many cubic inches of space there is in this room, I don't know, let's say a million. The environment in here is as responsible for what's going on in you mentally as your thoughts are responsible for what's going on in you mentally. As always, the brains of people, since there's no way out of the universe, the universe is no smarter or dumber than it's smarter and dumber, or smart and dumb. And so as I can put it, whether you begin to see it yourself, everything that an awakened man knows, everybody else knows, but they don't know they know it. It's clouded. They just don't know they know it. I'm saying to you such things as historians saying, when the time is right, only when the time is right, does printing as a viable, commercial, or artistic form, only when the time is right, does it become an invention. And people say, Gutenberg, the guy down the street, invented that, saw how to do it to make it work. When it's a known fact he didn't invent it. It's a known fact that Edison didn't invent the light bulb. But the historians are correct. And I'm saying historians, ordinary people. The, the most common phrase is, when the time is right, is when something becomes a viable invention, a useful discovery. Nobody needed the United States. Nobody needed North America. At least Western Europe didn't need North America. People had already discovered it. As the old joke goes, you know, and the Indians and the, the Indians in North and South America, you know, and Columbus and then the Spanish, everybody came and said, we discovered you, and the Indians went, you know, we didn't know we were lost. <laughs> but the thing was, as history would say, it, was, they'd go, yeah, yeah, we all know that somebody was there and it wasn't lost. But it got discovered in the sense that when the Vikings came over and discovered it, nobody cared. For whatever reason, maybe I'm sure some historians have tried to explain it, and I could sit here and start making up some bullshit about, well, economic conditions were such, you know, the population of Northern Europe was not yet reached a critical mass such that they needed to expand west, or, you know, westward. And so historians could say, well, the Vikings certainly came over here. There's no doubt they knew that there was land even west of Newfoundland, north of, uh, west of Greenland. I mean, but they... It was, it, the time wasn't right. So, yeah, it had been, quote, discovered, but it hadn't been double, quote, discovered. It was only in 1492, 93, that the times dictated the need for Europe to discover some new land. So then Columbus discovered America. Can you get past? And I like, to me, I really like environment because people use the term, you know how common it is now, and it's a local, instead of me saying life, which explains it to me, always has, but maybe that, anyway, environment sounds so good. And I don't have to tell you what, but I'm telling you the environment needed the light bulb. Now I could talk for hours, well, for a good while before it became repetitive, myself of how life needed a light bulb. Of course, I can get more specific if you can see it, whether this means anything to you, but it's always been of help to me is life didn't just need the light bulb. Life needed people in the United States at that particular time where it was 1880. In the United States, in what we call, I don't mean that life 
smiles in the United States. I assume that none of you people are as that much of a chauvinist. It's not that the gods are looking down and think, oh, those poor United Stadians, they need a light bulb. They've been in the dark all these years. They're such good people. I'm just saying you, life needed a viable, commercially feasible light bulb, and it needed it in a certain place. And of course, it spread very quickly. And sure enough, it's as though the environment, I'm telling you, this is not theory, the environment around New Jersey. I always find it interesting that the man who's considered the father of modern technology lived in New Jersey. <laughs> For all of you people who kick around the fine garden state. Well, that and plus that's where the Ashley brothers live. So at any rate, the environment, literally, the environment, I can see it, it's a, and it's obvious as hell. This is not metaphysics. The environment, there you had Thomas Edison trying to make a living also had been obviously called up with the idea of the light bulb. He was known, it turned out to be an extremely acute businessman, that that was his main interest. As he made some comment like anyone who invents for any reason other than make a buck is an idiot. You know, he would smile and talk about, you know, he's glad for progress to move along, but it's a known fact, it's no great secret, that the man was money mad. So at any rate, there he was, him dying to invent a light bulb. And by all the stories, you know, he was driving everybody crazy, and he'd, he'd burn up everything, his wife's petticoats, you know, his children's hair, he would make them get haircuts. He tried everything. I'm telling you, I can look right there, and the environment, forget the gods, forget history, I'm telling you, the environment, right around Thomas Edison. And again, as I said, you could start saying, well, New Jersey, the United States, the planet, but I'm telling you, right around Thomas Edison, if we're going to take that as an example, that Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. All right. right around Thomas Edison is an environment of some kind. Let's say a couple of miles, or if you like, inside his laboratory, maybe a room this size. But that environment finally decided we've got to have it, and he invented it. I am not being metaphysical. That is, that's, that's the kind of thing that you see once you have developed, once your enlightenment, once your awakening has ripened. And I'm not going to talk any more tonight, but as I say sometimes, I assume you know what I mean, once you understand that, once you see that's the fact, not a theory, it answers all questions you may still have lingering. It obliterates, it answers all questions or concerns you may have. Well, why are people so mistrustful of each other? Why are people in conflict? Why are Jews fighting... Uh, Muslims, why are Christians fighting Muslims? Why are you know, Italians fighting Turks? You know, why can't people get along? There it is. They are getting along. Take your right palm and put, put against your left one and push. Now, if you would like for 10 for a moment, ooh, my right hand are Irish Protestants, my left hand are Irish Catholics. <clears throat> and in case you still favor it one way or the well, of course, if you fit one way or the other, you won't understand it. But in case you don't, it's not clear, then change it and let your left hand be the Protestants and your right hand be the Catholic. Does anybody get it? Again, I've been throwing them out for the last several weeks that being awake is like arm wrestling with yourself, trying to grab your own hand. But I find this one a, a, a bit less metaphysical sounding. And it's not really a metaphor. Does everybody understand? Take one hand and push it against the other one. 
Take your right hand and push against your left one. That's it. And you're doing that inside the universe. You're doing it inside the environment of the universe, inside the environment of this room, inside the environment of your body, the sphere of your body. There it is. You can say, my, my, my right hand pushed my left. Are you an idiot? Are you that blind? <laughs> That's why I say, okay, wait a minute, you don't get it. Reverse it. Because <laughs> you're asleep, you'll say, well, I still don't get it. <laughs> uh, if you can see it, you'll be, even though you may have had other experiences and you may more or less know what's going on, I give you my word, you'll be delighted to realize, just look around you at nothing, but you just look around, just the air and everything around you, and realize that right out there, let's just say the, the space, because I'm not inferring other, other people part of it, but the environment just around you is thinking. And if you go, I don't, I don't, I don't see that, that was it. It just thought that. And you go, no, I thought that. All right, if you want to be technical, it made you think it. It made Thomas invent the light bulb. It made Columbus, he kept saying, I'm going back. In the environment right there. So no, you're not. And he went right on. It's, it's ultimate freedom. <laughs> well, as always, I'm glad I could clear up all these number of things I know have been troubling you. Of course, there's a story. And then somebody went, well, tell you the truth, I wasn't troubled by them until you brought them up. <laughs> well, I'm still glad I could be of help. <laughs>